got booted out. And as I got booted out of the establishment, the bouncer told me to go fuck myself. And I responded and told him to go fuck himself, which is quite out of character for me. But as I said that, there was six police officers down the bottom of the stairs of the club. And one of them said to me, boy, you watch your mouth. And then I told them to go fuck themselves. And and as I did that, I turned around and I spun on my heel and I legged it down Burke Street. Full noise, like full of adrenaline, cocaine and fuel by alcohol. Welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes. I'm your host, Jacques Massey. And on today's show, I've got Laban Ditchburn joining me. Uh, Laban is one of my new friends. We've actually known each other for just over a month. It's crazy to think that we're already collaborating, working on podcasts together and other projects. Uh, But we do have a lot in common. Uh, One of those commonalities is that we both host podcasts. Uh, The name of Laban's podcast is Become Your Own Superhero. And it's an incredible podcast available uh, almost anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, But more about that at the end of the show. And if you want to find out where else you can reach Laban, I'll leave some notes in the show notes. But on to today's podcast. Today, we talk about Laban's incredible experience suffering through addiction. Addictions of all sorts from alcohol and drugs to sex and gambling. Uh, We find out some of Laban's lowest points, uh, some of the greatest opportunities he had for learning and growing, and how he's managed to stay clean and sober. If any of you out there listening are suffering from some sort of addiction or escapism, we'll definitely get something out of this episode. Welcome to the Couple of Lattes podcast hosted by myself, Jacques Massey. How does it feel being the man that has been interviewed instead of the man who's doing and hosting the podcast? Jacques, well, I must say, uh, first things first, thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's, a, it's a thrill. It's really lovely. Um, I've been on the receiving end of nearly 40 podcast in four months mm-hmm. asking all of the questions and uh for a man who loved to talk as much as i did, <laughs> it's been a real learning curve for me yeah so I'm, sure. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to to do a bit more of the talking so yeah you, man you, you become more of a more of a listener when you podcast right i feel like for me since i've started podcasting i've become a much better all-round communicator because i'm like i've, I've got to listen because i want to ask the right questions do you feel the same yeah, I do. I think it's a, for a long time, I, particularly with a lot of ego sort of stuff, I, uh, I neglected to ask people mm. more about themselves. Mm. And it, I never, it wasn't a deliberate thing, I don't think, but certainly you become more interesting the less talking you do and the more listening. And my, my father, who's a retired radio announcer, said to me that Michael Parkinson, Sir Michael Parkinson, the famous um, British interviewer, was one of the most interesting men he'd ever seen on the TV, but yet he, he did virtually none of the talking. It was yeah. the ability to ask a question. So I want to be a bit more like Michael Parkinson. There you go. And you said your father was a radio host? Radio announcer for 40 years. Yeah. So it runs in the blood and some sort of, you know, he was a radio host and now you're a podcast host. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, Jack, he, um, he dissuaded me from getting into radio when I was 16. I was, I was desperate to become a radio announcer. Mm. 
and he um he steered me away from it saying that there was no money in radio but at, at that stage uh it was never about the money mm. and and i i honestly held a lot of resentment towards my father for a long time mm. because i ended up doing shit that i wasn't passionate about and i and i only really forgave him for it a few years ago yeah I but but i never would have ended up where i am now had i gone down that path so Exactly, you would have been a totally different label. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting, though. Uh, I find that a lot of the time, even though, because when you actually go for what you really enjoy, there's a lot of suffering that's involved with that, right? And there's a lot of hard work. Um, so a lot of the time, people put off what they actually want to do. But I tend to find people always come back to what it is they enjoy, whether it's when they're 70 and 80 and going, shit, I wish I'd done that when I was 20. Or whether it's you know where you are now, where I am now, like for me, I've always loved communicating and having deep discussions with people. Now I host a podcast where I do that, and you host a podcast because you wanted to be on radio when you were a kid. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, um, I there's there's something to do with uh, a mentor friend of mine, Carolyn, who's this unlikely friend. She's a sixty year old Scottish woman. We met in an elevator in Melbourne hmm. a couple of years ago. Same week I met my now fiance. She she's a an executive coach amongst and a facilitator amongst other things, but she's an enneagram practitioner, which is like a really detailed Maya Briggs or Facet Five personality profile. Okay. And she did one with me, and the reason her and I have connected, I think, is we are identical, and we're a seven on the scale, and there's and there's variations that go along that scale. But one of the main attributes of my personality is this desire to be seen. Mm. And and I think that's why it ties in with the podcast, but also wanting to have it filmed as well mm. gotcha. to, to be seen. So there's, and there's, you know, you go through one through nine on these Instagram, and mm. if you did one, you know, you'd, you'd work out what your, what shames you and, you know, what, what motivates you. And it's really fascinating, really interesting. That does sound amazing. Yeah. It sounds like a, a really good way to get to know yourself on a, on a much deeper level. I don't think a lot of people actually realize what triggers them and you know what makes them happy, what makes them sad. Knowing what shames you was was really helpful. For what me. shame? What shames you out of interest? Uh, if you don't mind talking about it, no, not at all. Um, the actual specifics, I need to go back through the report, but it's along the lines of being, um, like publicly belittled. Mm-hmm. which which most people listening would go, well, no kidding, right? But some people can handle that better than others. And I think even if it's like a, 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 a slightly sarcastic comment or whatever, my reaction would be more over the top than someone who's, a, who's not as shamed mm-hmm. by that. And, and, and the result of that is that I will cut you off out of my life very quickly. Wow. Yeah, so... And it's when you and the great thing about it is, Jack, that when you become more conscious of these kind of triggers, and you get better at them. Mm. And I'm, I'm not a. I mean, it paints me out to be pretty, pretty terrible. But um, there's a blend of setting clear boundaries, but also like just knowing how to manage and respond better, mm. rather than maybe flying off the handle like I once would have. Yeah, right. I think that's that's kind of all part of emotional intelligence, right? Part of emotional intelligence, I guess, is understanding okay, this is an area I'm not so strong at handling, but I know that I'm in this situation now. So I can adjust how I respond, how I react. It's very interesting. Anyway, bro, uh, 
Today's topic is addiction, and we met, when did we meet? About four weeks ago now. Yeah. So not that long ago, and I already feel like um, we have a pretty solid connection, considering we've only known each other about a month. We both do podcasts. We both had an interesting journey, shall we say, to getting to where we are now. Um, we've both written a draft for a book. Um, so I think we have a lot of similar, and we're both Kiwi. Yeah, <laughs> so there you go. We both live in Melbourne, obviously. Yeah, yeah, a lot of similarities. Um, but you, when we first met, you told me you basically opened up, and we were talking about this just before how your superpower is your ability to be comfortable being vulnerable, being who you are, being transparent. And I remember you opening up about your addiction, and I was just like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Like this dude is not ashamed of what he's gone through, and I think that's a big part of recovery is just acknowledging that you're suffering, acknowledging that you aren't where you want to be because you haven't taken responsibility for yourself. And I think that's something you did amazingly. So I want to talk about that. But before we get too deep into it, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, whoever's listening? Uh, who is Laban Ditchburn? Laban Ditchburn is a 40-year-old New Zealander who's been living in Melbourne for the last 20 years. In the last five years, I've turned my life around and done a 4180 and in the process of been able to knock drinking, gambling, drug use, philandering, and eliminate pretty much all of the limiting self-belief and self-deprecating self-talk that I used to use on myself. Congratulations to that, man. Thank you, man. And I'm far from perfect, but I'm a damn, damn sight improved from where I was and the the side effect of all of that wonderful happening has been I'm in a place right now where I really feel like for the first time I'm in control of my my destiny and in control of my my life I met the woman of my dreams mm -hmm. got engaged recently in the streets of Melbourne I've tell got... me about that story actually because that was a beautiful story how did how did you uh how did Laban Dishburn uh, coerce Anna to, to be the love of his life? Well, this is one of my favorite stories to share. And, and, and for no other reason that I love um, seeing the response on people's faces. <laughs> because to paint a picture, Anna is a Russian and Japanese blend. She's three quarters of Russian, one quarter Japanese from an island just north of Japan. So away, it's about 6,000 kilometers from Moscow. And she'd been in Australia for about six years. But to give you some context, I'll take it back a little bit because I used to be a prolific online data, prolific. And I've been on at least 150 first dates. So that's not including any further dates uh, over four years. And in that four years, I was in a committed relationship on two occasions for half of that time. So I was a machine. And... I got really good at dating, but I never had a connection with anyone. And throughout the whole process of this healing, I started looking after myself and, and started getting myself in good physical condition. And when I got myself in really great physical condition, my self-confidence started to skyrocket. And when my, when my self-confidence was skyrocketing, everything else sort of fell into place. And I met Anna in the streets of Melbourne on a Wednesday at about 11 a.m. as I was on my way to a meeting across the other side of the CBD, I was walking, and I spied Anna from about 40 meters away. Mm -hmm. 
and she looked back at me. And the only way I can really describe what happened next was I was struck by this bolt of lightning and picked up and levitated a couple of feet off the ground and plonked down in front of her. <laughs> it's like those movies where they have the camera and it's like the shaking head just like moving along. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. And I just, with all the confidence of a thousand Spartans, looked her directly in the eye and said, excuse me. This is Sparta. <laughs> I said, excuse me, but you are stunning. And I wondered if you ever drink with me one time. And she cracked a big smile on her face and looked back at me and said, you're good looking too. And we chatted for a little bit and she took my number. Mm -hmm. uh, I did try and take hers, but like, you know, a strange man on the street. And we went out the following Monday, which was the day after I just completed a, my very first 100 kilometer ultra marathon and I could barely move. <laughs> and I like I like I don't I but I but knowing I was going on on this date with this stunning woman uh inside and out was gave me the energy to get through and we just had been inseparable ever since. So it's a great love story and one yeah. I'm very proud of. More more so the fact that I'm scaring uh, up a little bit right now. Thank you. That's beautiful, man. Well, it, it just represented something for me at least to to see someone that I was physically really attracted to but there was something about that whole experience in putting my neck on the line blasting that fear of rejection because I hadn't ever really asked anyone out in, in in real life before I'd gotten very good at, at organizing online dating and stuff but it mm -hmm. just didn't have the same thing about it and I'm so happy that I was able to to meet someone like that in that manner because it really destroyed a lot of other limiting beliefs about what I could do in other areas of my life. Mm. So it was a great experience for me and, and a great love story to share, you know? Yeah, what a way to start the podcast with a love story. Now everyone's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, bro, let's take it back a bit because obviously the man you are now is not the man you've always been and you went through some serious darkness and, and some serious suffering. Like I think almost anyone on the planet does in their own certain way. Everyone has their own story, right? Um, so you shared briefly about what your addiction was, but let's go into it a little bit deeper. What was your addiction and how did you, more importantly, how did you end up stuck in that, in that hole, in that pit? So I think if, if you had to label what my addiction was, it was, it was an addiction to escapism. And if, as I regressed through my childhood, I, you know, I, I did a lot of things that a lot of kids did but they tended to be in, in excess and i i would play video games for weeks and months on end i would watch the same movie hundreds and hundreds of times you know usually like a star wars or like a fantasy type thing when i was young and and none of that made none of that really bothered anyone but it's only now that i look back at it that i i just never confronted the reality of the situation. And for me, it was nothing more innocuous than just being a child of divorce mm. and, and the dysfunction that went along with that coming from a mum and a dad who both grew up in a really dysfunctional environment and were ill-equipped to be able to handle themselves, let alone raise children. And 
you know, they were doing the best they could just with the tools they had available. But in that whole process, there was a lot of dysfunction and, and my ability to, to handle all of that was to escape, like a lot of kids. And this is one of the, the major issues with a lot of society, a lot of broken homes, is that when you don't have a functional household, you miss out as a child on lots of opportunity to learn from your parents. And that's one of the things that I've, that I missed out on. I, I learned, I learned, didn't learn how to be a functional man. I didn't understand it, the importance of being able to be a masculine role model and, and go up to a woman and ask her out. I didn't learn how to nurture a relationship. You know, I didn't know how to treat women for a long time. And, but in terms of the addiction, when, as I got older, like the addiction turned into initially drinking and then drug use and then anything that allowed me to escape sex. And it just snowballed from there. And it, and it wasn't like I was growing out of it. I was sort of growing into it. Mm-hmm. And I found that as that I was yeah. And then the more you sort of spiral down, the more people that you attract that are on the same journey because they help normalize all the behavior that you're exhibiting, right? And then as you sort of lower your standards, and this isn't a blight on any of the people that I was around, like they were going through their own journey as well, but the lower you, you know, you head down the totem pole, the more bad shit tends to happen, you know? And, and you attract I, what you put out, essentially. Exactly right, man. You know, like in terms of from an addiction point of view, like I never entered any program. I never did a 12-step officially. I never ended up in the Betty Ford Clinic. But like it was very self-destructive and I narrowly avoided being arrested on many occasions for stupid shit that I would do. Uh, And I was blessed with an ability to talk my way out of stuff and, and have an angelic look on my face <laughs> and and i think you know other friends of mine haven't been quite so lucky and you know, ended up with a lifetime of legacy of you know police records or criminal records or whatever you want to call it mm. and i managed to dodge a few bullets but like it sort of crescendoed in my you know six months before i gave up drinking i had two incidents within about a month of each other where i was i had guns pointed at me by about six police officers after sprinting off down Burke Street. Let's dive, in, let's dive into this story a little bit. I remember this being a... Yeah, yeah. It, well, it was, a, it was a Friday night. I got invited to go to a um, a friend of mine's birthday party at a whiskey bar in the city and and uh, didn't have any dinner, got straight into to spirits, got pretty blind drunk, and I was always a pretty pretty happy drunk. And, but I, I got, um, I did some cocaine as well, and, but I think I'd sort of gone past that point of no return. I was getting quite belligerent. I got booted out of there, um, from, from the nightclub, which was upstairs. Uh, I forget so what you took the called. cocaine in a way to serve you up because you knew you were drunk, but you were, you were too far gone. Yeah. Yeah. It used to, it used to straighten me out pretty well, but I was shit faced and I had no food and just, mm-hmm. you know, recipe for disaster. Got booted out. And as I got booted out of the establishment, the bouncer told me to go fuck myself. And I responded and told him to go fuck himself, which was quite out of character for me. But as I said that, there was six police officers down the bottom of the stairs of the club. 
And one of them said to me, Oi, you watch your mouth. And then I told them to go fuck themselves. And and as I did that, I turned around and I spun on my heel and I legged it down Burke Street, full noise, like full of adrenaline, cocaine, and fuel by alcohol. Yeah. And I was being egged on. It was about midnight on a Friday night. I was being egged on by, you know, the public. They were yahooing and <laughs> and um, and I outran all the police. It's impressive. And um, it was kind of like a bucket list thing, you know. That cocaine energy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty rapid over a short distance, and I um, I could hear them pounding away, but I just I legged it, and I was like, "This is awesome." And then, like four patrol cars all flew down that centre part where the trams would normally go. And uh, and I and I doubled back and hid down this like this alleyway and I and I felt like I was in this little cocoon of like safety. Yeah. And the next thing I hear is this freeze, come over your hands up. And like I'm surrounded by cops pointing their guns and pepper spray and tasers at me. And and what had happened was that someone fitting my description had coward punched someone. Like in the area that I was What's in, it cow punch? it's, it's a king hit. Yeah, it's just they they they've been able to rebrand it just to make it not sound as cool, right? And in a twist of irony, I had literally been the lead in an anti-violence commercial for an organisation called Step Back Think, which was founded after a guy uh, Brian McCready, uh, Brian I think his last name is was coward punch went on his 19th birthday and ended up like with brain damage. He would, he would never be the same again a few years ago. And it was one of his friends that asked me to, to be one of the lead in this, in this commercial. And so I'm cuffed on my knees and the, and I'm explaining to the cop that like, I'm this anti-violence, you know, star. And one of the funny parts of it was when they were, they were on their phone, like watching the YouTube. <laughs> like, you can't see this guy shit in the movies. And uh, and and as the call came over the radio that they'd found this other perpetrator, the one who had actually done it, I was let go without charge, mm. which is a miracle of God. Because uh, like when you think about what's been happening, like in America, like if I was a, an African American man, like uh, could I have been killed? You know, like, and I know I know that's slightly removed, but um, even as a white male, like I still could have had my ass kicked or worse for, for fucking the police off. I was very, very lucky. And I woke up the next day and I was just like with the hangover from hell. And I was just like 35 years old. This is, this is not cool. This is not the direction that my life is, should be heading. So would you say that that was the turning point or would you say that there was, there was multiple things that happened that led to to that point multiple points where you questioned where you were going in life one of which may be because we haven't talked about your gambling addiction yet well yeah i can explain sort of how, how i ended that journey so i'd been this is the really fascinating thing jack that i'd been healing from a lot of this trauma and dysfunction by the, the work that i'd been doing with the psychologist from the gambler's helpline i'd been going to a shrink for about a year at this point that I got access to for free through the Gamblers Helpline. And at that time, when I reached out and, and got access to the Gamblers Helpline, I had a, a relative in New Zealand going through a, a huge court case. It was a really terrible thing. And I, simultaneously, I had a, 
who was someone who was a friend at the time, who's no longer a friend, was going through a, a court case in Melbourne where I was involved as a character reference. And they were like, there was, it was so stressful and it was just like magnifying everything in my life. And I was using alcohol and gambling and drug use to try and escape from all that stuff. And in one night when I was punting the last of my rent money, I saw the gambler's helpline number on the bottom left-hand corner of the screen and I called it and spoke to this extraordinary woman, Mary, like Mary and the Mary Magdalene, my guardian angel, right? Yeah, yeah. And she was a gambling counsellor and she'd spoken, she'd been doing it for 20 years or 30 years, and she spoke about how high the rates of suicide were in gam problem gamblers because of how quickly you lose everything. Yeah, understandable. And it really scared the shit out of me. And I, so I got access to the psychologist. The first few sessions revealed to me that all of the stuff was related to escapism. And when I started to understand, I was, started to go down the journey, but I was still, I was still dealing with things. And I know I'd given up the gambling by the time this other these other incidents had happened, but I was still abusing alcohol and and obviously drugs as well. And so it was a number of rock bottoms. I think mm. I really needed to smack the ground hard to just bounce back up. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could to use a metaphor. It's like when you kick a rock off a cliff, it doesn't just hit the bottom and then bounce up. It hits a lot of ledges on the way down. So it sounds like this was essentially how your addiction and how you hit your rock bottom and how you decided to bounce back was there was you had to knock your head a few times before you were like, hold on, Laban, something needs to change here or you're going to end up dead, essentially. Yeah. So that's, um, I'm pretty interested about the gambling addiction. So you gave that up first. How bad did it get before you were able to go, I, I need to stop this immediately. I need to do something about this. I was at times borrowing to, to gamble mm. and, and I was already in huge amounts of debt and thankfully it never got to the point where I was selling my ass <laughs> for like the money. Um, do you think looking back at yourself now, do you think that's something you would have considered at the time? Um, no, I don't think for gambling, like, cause I never, when you're in that sort of that state, it sort of creeps up on you and, and it was sort of exacerbated by some really big wins early on. And all it did was it just made it harder to achieve that same high. It's like heroin use, like the first high is always the best one they reckon. Yeah. And you're always chasing the dragon, like they say, and that was no different except I was chasing the the purebred horse yeah and um would i have ended up selling my body i don't know like at ten dollars a pop it, like it might have taken a few <laughs> it's, it's hard to think but i think it's really interesting what you said before how as you lower yourself and i guess you could refer to it as your level of vibration right it can go either way so as you lower your levels of vibration you start vibrating with other people on that same kind of low then it becomes easier to drop to the next level and easier to drop to the next level. This is where you hear those these stories of, you know, big wig, multi-millionaire Wall Street guys who get hooked on cocaine and then they get hooked on heroin. And then before they know it, these guys who were earning multi-million, multi, multiple millions of dollars a year become homeless. It's, it's, that, it's hard to picture it when you're in a good place, but when you're dropping those levels, it's quite it can be quite rapid to get to that point, right? 
Well, I, I used to work with a guy who was a friend of mine who was earning about 450 grand a year in recruitment and lost it all through a, a $20,000 a month cocaine addiction. And, wow. he, and he was, you know, consuming up to 10 bags of cocaine in a night. So 10, up to 10 grams in a night. Um, and, that's unbelievable. And I resigned from the organization because I could see that this was about to like crescendo into a shitstorm of fucking madness. And the, the, the director or the owner of the business, it was a small, smallish company, didn't do anything about it. And then ended up bearing the brunt when he was like, it was costing key relationships and he was stealing to, to feed his habit and high-class escorts. It was like real Jordan Belfort, Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street kind of stuff. Mm. And that was, that was in, uh, that was like 2014. And it, it's just so insidious, just how quickly it, it creeps up on you. But I, one thing that really saved my bacon, I think, was my involvement with the cricket club. I'm a, you know, 15 year player down at Melbourne University and, and I'm a captain as well. And like I was a captain of a young side mm. during a lot of the stuff and I kept it all separate. But I think it helped keep me on the straight and narrow for a large portion of it and stop me from entering the real rock bottom, the real like living on the streets kind of stuff. Anything's possible. Anything was on the table, I think. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, man. It's a really powerful story. And I guess, first of all, congratulations for getting to where you are now. How many years now has it been that you haven't touched alcohol or drugs or gambling? So I, I gave up gambling in December of 2015. So five years this December. And next month, uh, so August 26th, 2020, will be my fourth year of sobriety. And it's also the the date of my beautiful fiance's birthday as well. So it's a great Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. And we met after the after I gave up. So like it's a nice little uh, anniversary and reminder as well. Uh, yeah. I mean I'd say it's a coincidence, but I don't really believe in coincidences. I think that's just a, amazing that <laughs> you can celebrate that and then you can look at your beautiful fiance and be like, I got you know, I, I got to be with this woman because I am the person I am today, but also because I came from the terrible suffering that I went through. If I hadn't done that, if I hadn't learned that, if I hadn't become who I am now, this beautiful woman wouldn't be standing in front of me. So it's beautiful. Yeah. I, and it's like for anyone trying to figure out how to do it, like all of the, all of the good stuff that started to happen was because I, I finally got to a point where I loved who I was. I, I never, I thought I did, but I never really loved who I was. Mm-hmm. And when you don't love who you are, you don't care about yourself and you don't respect yourself and you don't, and you don't want to lose weight and you, and you want to keep drinking and doing drugs or whatever it is that you're escaping into. And, and the, the beautiful thing about all of this stuff, Shark, is that I don't miss any of this stuff. I don't have the cravings like a reformed smoker might. Mm. You know, incidentally, I, I am a reformed smoker, but like Alan Carr, easy way to stop smoking if you want to give up smoking and not have any of the, the, uh, the legacy where you're still hanging out for a cigarette. Yeah, all, all the escape, like I barely even think about it until I talk about it. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the great thing for me. I don't, I don't want for any of this stuff. Mm. Mm. So I, I want to touch on that a little bit more and go through a bit of a, I guess for people listening who are addicted in some way, um, how you got out of it and the steps that you would suggest other people would take. But before that, I just want to ask one question. Do you think in your mind, 
any form of, I guess, uh, self-deprecating addiction or an addiction that harms you in some way is a form of escapism. Do you think that that could be a true or a truth? Or um, I, don't, I never have any sort of definitive answer on this kind of question. I, I, I think you've really got to look at the relationship that you have with whatever you're doing because I don't want to slag off video games or having a few beers or whatever, but I, I really question at times how authentic your relationship with another person can be if you've got some other contributing factor. Like having, having the issue with the drink never allowed me to really truly connect with any of my friends, most of which I no longer have anything to do with. And it's not through a, anything more deliberate than the fact that we just don't have anything in common anymore. Mm. And not everyone, but most. Mm. And the ones that I do have a connection with, incidentally, don't drink. Mm. Interesting. I guess when you break that down, those people that you referred to as quote-unquote friends were actually just people that you were in a way using to help you feel comfortable about the fact that you were using in other ways, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex addiction, gambling addiction, everything else that you were kind of addicted to. Well, Would so you the, agree with that? Yeah, well, it's a codependence, right? Mm. Codependency is the key is the key thing there. And codependency is a reliance on another person or another thing to, to help you feel better about it, really. It's not it's not ever really a healthy, healthy thing. And and you can have codependent parents and siblings and friends and all kinds of stuff and and i'm sure if any of my former circle of friends would listen to this some of them would be mortified but it's the reality for me it is the reality and if they were if we had more of a connection we'd still be friends and the people that i've now the people that have come into my life that i have real connections with it's because i'm able to be like honest and raw authentic. and authentic and not and not have the veil of escapism or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is and i just i just get a kick out of that now i just don't get a kick out of the other stuff anymore it doesn't interest me it bores me actually yeah so i'm totally honest amazing man what a turnaround what a story as well <laughs> i think i think about the, the just those stories that you shared then and then a couple that you've shared with me before it's it's amazing where you could have ended up and how, I guess, by fate and also by choice, you ended up where you are now, which is in the process of something much greater than you could ever imagine. We talked about this on the phone the other day. You're heading in a direction much greater than you could ever think. I mean, I guess it's like what Tony Robbins says, right? You'll overestimate what you can do in a year and you'll drastically underestimate what you can do and accomplish in 10 years. It's that compounding effect, so... Congrats for that. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. It's, it's a journey. Now, I guess, like the idea of these podcasts, the reason, the big thing I want to carry through each one is that, yeah, we've ad addressed a lot of problems here, but humans tend to have this negativity bias where they just focus on the problems. And this is, I guess, where they end up in holes like you ended up is they're unable to think clearly, be proactive and see the solution. So for you, what were the steps you took to get out of your addiction? What are some of the key points? So, for example, acceptance of your situation could be one. 
self-love, which you talked about before. And then how would you recommend other people kind of do the same in, in whatever situation they're in? I think the, the, the main thing is that you've got to reach a point in your own life where you've made a, a decision to do something about it because no one can ever convince you what to do. You have to, you have to take the lead on that and then make the decision to ask for help and, and to ask for help in the right place and not be afraid of judgment. Because as soon as you hold back in anything, when you're talking to a professional or someone that you trust, and I would encourage getting access to a professional simply because they come from a place of no judgment and they are experienced at being able to listen, to reframe and to not want to step in and try and give you advice or shit that you won't want to hear early on. Probably later on as well. <laughs> like, so realize that the pain that you're in now will not ever dissipate until you decide to do something about it. And for me, I was like, fuck this. Fuck living this three-quarter life. Mm. Like, I don't know how much longer I've got on this planet. I nearly died when I was like two and a half. I had like advanced bacterial meningitis wow for like i was, had it for a week before i was diagnosed and it's got about a 30 percent mortality rate within 48 hours and a much higher rate of brain damage and also and i got away scot-free and since that since that period and i've constantly told by my parents how lucky and how much prayer was going on you know i'm not a, i'm not religious but i'm very spiritual and i've had this fearless mentality and i was like fuck if i'm going to live for another like 60 years 70 years like i don't want to do this shit half-assed mm. and so i just i made that decision to just cop it just to cop whatever i needed to deal with and the, the first the first session with the shrink was so powerful like within 10 minutes that i started to understand about this escapism and i've always been an inquisitive motherfucker as well and i, and I need to understand how it works so that i can uh i can and un to understand it so i can figure out myself and then I just went down this whole rabbit hole of trying to untangle everything that had gone on and I got good at, at finding resources and speaking to people and and I became more and more comfortable talking about it in public and then I realized started to realize the power of the vulnerability talking to, to people that I know and strangers and and bringing the right kind of people into my life so it's not a quick fix but it's so worthwhile, man. It's the it's easily the best thing I've ever done for myself, and it has this this flow and effect to other areas of your life that you don't even that you don't even quantify. Mm -hmm. And uh, but you have to make the decision where you go right. I'm going to ask for help here, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna deal with the shame of it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, it's not it's not shameful at all. No. Asking for help is about the bravest thing you can do. Yeah, 100%. That's this weird misconception I think specifically a lot of men have about being vulnerable. I think it's something that's changing a lot now, which is really good to see is men think of vulnerability as being a coward or um, being weak. When actually, when you think about every single brave thing that anyone's ever done, including in the middle of a war, running around behind the enemy, 
eliminating the enemy and saving a prisoner of war, that requires a shitload of vulnerability, you know, in a physical way. So vulnerability is bravery. It's the exact definition of bravery. It's great that you were able to notice that. Well, I think the other thing that I've, that I've come to realize, Jacques, is that the, it's not about me anymore. It's about, like, I now have a responsibility to share this message with everyone that wants to hear it. Like, I was, I was so insular for a long time, and now, now that I've had a taste of how to figure some of this shit out, because they don't teach you, teach you this stuff in school, right? Now it's my burden of responsibility to share it with people. And this is why I, I'm going to become the, the, like the most influential motivational speaker on the planet. That's, that's my mission in life. Awesome, dude. And I'm thinking about ways I'm to... I'm so pumped to hear that. That's wicked. Well, it's like why, like I don't think even Tony Robbins does talk about this stuff, about why would you go three quarters? Like why would you go halfway? Like, and... and you, you know, listening to this, you might say, oh, that sounds really arrogant, whatever, but like... Shoot for the stars, shoot the stars. man. Like, you know, like, who gives a fuck? And here's the thing, I don't give a fuck anymore, Shark. I, I, I do not care because I know that the impact that I can have in other people so that they can avoid some of the pitfalls and everyone has to go through their own little journey. But I've seen the impact it's had on my, on my family and I really feel like I've broken this legacy of, of dysfunction. You know, my mum is one of four siblings. And there's nine cousins. Well, nine, eight plus me. Brothers and cousins. Every male and female. All of which have battled and, and are either dealing with or, or dealt with addiction. Gambling, drug use. Some of the female ones went into prostitution when they were younger. Like... There's this continual legacy of dysfunction from one alcoholic grandfather. Do you know what I mean? Who who wasn't equipped to be able to handle this stuff and didn't have access to some of the resources that we've got access to these days. So now it's my duty and it's having a really great flow and effect in my direct family. Not everyone, but they can't deny when you start kicking ass in life, when you start when you're happy and you're attracting good shit into your life. It's undeniable. So rather than trying to tell you what to do, just lead by example, lead by example, lead by example. Yeah, so I guess for someone out there who is struggling with addiction, and just to recap on what those steps might be to come out of it, let me know if I've, I've kind of come up with the right sort of steps. Uh, so step one, I guess, is acceptance, really. To look at yourself and be like, you are in a bad place. Uh, this is not good because like you're saying, when you get into those lower levels of vibrations and you surround yourself with people who convince your ego that it's okay, you feel comfortable about it and you don't accept like this is bad. This is not a good place to be. And then from acceptance, it's having the vulnerability and the courage to ask for help, to take responsibility for making the changes. And then I guess from there, it's just a matter of taking action every single day so starting with and that's what like a lot of people when when i talk to them about the things they want to achieve they start getting excited and then they go oh but that's that's so so far away from where i am now that's such a big step to take it's like well actually there's one million tiny little steps in between here and there 
you've just got to start with the first tiny little step. So it's that 1% change day to day to day. Would that be a correct assumption of the steps that you took? Yeah, and there's there's no perfect science to this. And I think the uh, the other thing that I forgot to mention when I'm going down my little rabbit hole here is that you need to understand that everything that happens in your life life is is your doing. Mm. It's your doing that you need to take 100% ownership and responsibility of everything that's happening in your life. And 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 when you realise that, it becomes really powerful because you then you can take action and you realise that it's not external. Mm. happenings that is like oh this is just my you know this is a genetic disorder Ugh, bullshit it's easy to blame that too isn't it yeah like you, you fuck you if, if that's what you're going to continue to believe for the mm. rest of your life you will just you'll just miss out you'll miss out on all the good shit and you'll continue to be miserable and you any uh, like i think this is why i think some of the people that i don't hang around with because there is a real victim mentality mm. And and they talk about from a scientific point of view, you become like the five people you spend most of the time around. And you know, if that's something that you're grappling with, if it's a family member, do it. Like I've had to cut out my older brother out of my life. I haven't spoken to him for a year and a half. Uh, we've got different fathers. He lives he lives in New Zealand and like just hasn't made the decision to stop being a victim and I spent many years trying to help and it was a good life lesson for me you know going back to like you can't tell him what to do and you know it always be thrown back in your face and I just made a, a really brave decision to just say do you know what I can't have you in my life like this and if it's the Lord's way that we never have anything to do with each other as terrible as that sounds it's the right thing for me and it's the thing that allows me to get on with my shit and he will always be welcome back in my life you know if he if he wants help to change yeah. and i'm just going to keep doing my thing and keep pounding away and, and keep getting the success yeah. of that comes to you when you start caring about yourself and, and you become more in tune with being able to listen to people and and i don't know you become a leader like you say, lead by example, and things will naturally attract to you. And I don't know if you notice this, but since I've gone through my changes over the years, more and more I attract the right people into my life. I don't, I don't even need to do anything. It's like our meet up in the cafe is probably the same. Well, we didn't actually meet first. You met my brother, and he was brother, reading yeah. the draft, and then one thing led to another, and now our vibrations are moving up together. It's, it's amazing. You know, when you when you actually choose to take responsibility and just lead by example, do it because no one else, if you're listening right now, no one is going to do it for you. No Full one. stop. And no one wants to hear your shit too. There's a great um, stat that it's definitely made up, but it's fucking funny. <laughs> it's like when you're talking about being negative or whatever, or you're sick, like 80% of people don't want to hear about it and 20% are glad it's happening to you. <laughs> so like, sh like, just no one wants to hear it like no one wants to hear your negative shit because mm. everyone's dealing with their own stuff but i tell you what they do like hearing about they love hearing about stories of success and not gloating or skite about real success and all the bumps and and hiccups that go along with it as well that's it man there's so many bruises along the way you just just gotta be prepared to to take it and just keep moving forward day by day there's all one percent changes 
Well, thanks for sharing that, man. I think anyone who's listening to this who is in a place of addiction right now will really take some valuable lessons out of what we just discussed. Um, and for people out there who want to reach out, we'll get maybe your details at the end. They know where to contact me. Um, but before we get to the end of the podcast, I do want to ask um, where to now for Laban? You, you mentioned you are going to be the um, most influential speaker on the planet, but what else? What about in the immediate short term? What, what are you working on? So I said to you before, Jacques, that I'm far from perfect. And I, I, the last chapter of my life, and I spoke to you about this the other day, all of the all of the, the challenges of my life right now could be resolved with money. And because of the bad shit that I got up to with a lot of gambling and just mismanagement of money and stuff, I got myself in a bit of a bit of strife financially. Mm. I've focused on the self-development side of things, whether that be mindset, nutrition, physical, you know, all that other stuff. Because without any of that stuff, the, the money wouldn't have mattered because I'd be dead. But the, the next chapter of my life is is getting on top of that and creating wealth and abundance. Not not for any other reason that it's my duty to my to to myself and my family to be able to provide, but also I'm learning about um, you know growing up in a lot of poverty. You know, you talk about being the people that you're around. Like there was no there was no financial role models in my life. So I'm now trying to surround myself with people that are really shit hot of that stuff to get to a point where I can have enough abundance to be able to choose who I want to help. And this is why a platform of being the most influential or the most impactful motivational speaker or whatever you want to call it, like Tony Robbins is pretty close to being a billionaire, I think, if he's not already. And, and he just has that ability to choose who he wants to help. And that's the thing I really love about it. That's the next step, creating, pumping out value in what I'm doing and monetizing it. And and it's sort of starting to happen now. And then obviously with what's happening around in the world, I've got to figure out my place in that in that space and, and just continue to surround myself with these extraordinary people that I've had on the show and you know, people like yourself like that lift me up, that lift me up. And then lift me up a couple of notches, then I'll lift someone else a couple of couple of notches, and, and just continue on that that journey. I, it's a very cliche statement, but that becoming comfortable being uncomfortable is a hundred percent the truth for me. And I'm always doing shit that's fucking brutal mm. to myself because I know it's good for me. Mm. Great man, and I have no doubt in my mind that you are going to reach amazing heights. And I think you already are, bro. I think that's the thing we we when we stop and reflect, actually. Even if you look back at yourself a month ago or two months ago or three months ago, you go, wow, like I really am moving forward. And just trust in the process. It's like it's like with your addiction, right? There's small, tiny steps. It's there's probably a billion steps between here and the level that the likes of Tony Robbins are at, but you just gotta start taking them one by one and you're doing it. So congrats for that. Thanks, man. And I think just one like one last thing I'd say is that particularly these days it's really easy to get caught up in checking out what the Robinsons are doing but like sure. the great Jordan Peterson says don't compare yourself to anyone else apart from the person you were the day before exactly and as hard as it is to do that sometimes it's really fucking important yeah no doubt
no doubt. All right, so just before we uh, we get your details so people can get a hold of you if they want to, um, I'm doing this thing in the podcast now called the four and one. Uh, so basically what I do is I ask you four questions. Uh, some of these will be deep, some of them won't. And then you get to ask me one question. And then from there, uh, we'll get your details so that people can get a hold of you if they, if they want to talk or if they just want to follow your stuff and see the person that you become. So you ready? Ready. Okay, so the first one. Uh, most, I want to hear the two of the most inspirational mentors. So people you look up to people you, um, feel have influenced you in your life, but one of them has to be male and one of them has to be female. So what are the two most inspirational mentors in your life? <laughs> That's really lucky because they are a male and a female. Perfect. Les, Les Brown, the motivational speaker, Les Brown, who you've had on your show, came on the show, inspired me to write my very first book. Um, which you wrote in what a month six weeks six <laughs> weeks and uh, i committed to a pretty aggressive timeline with Leslie, and he committed to writing the foreword for the book yeah. but the impact that 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 interview had on my life was just ridiculous and the other person is carolyn stenhouse who i mentioned earlier my scottish enneagram seven mentor yeah, she is uh we've become unlikely pals and she's be become involved in both anna and i's life and had such a wonderful impact and um, she she's, Melbourne based. She yeah, she lived down in Geelong. She she comes from a background of dealing with uh, a lot of British government, uh, high, a lot of high level stuff. She's a very accomplished businesswoman and mm -hmm. and just a wonderful, wonderful human being. Fantastic. So yeah, shout out to those two. Cool. And second question, you're gonna love this one. So for people who don't know, you're a carnivore. That's the diet you go by. So the question for you is. Vegan or carnivore? <laughs> I, I don't or a better way to word that is, if your life depended on it, would you go vegan? No, I'd die. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather be fucking dead than be a vegan. And I'll I knew this was going to be a good one. Um, nah, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have any, any, um, any hate or any, what do you call it? for, for Animosity, vegan. I guess. But I, just through my own health journey, I'd like, I've, I've learned enough about nutrition in my own mind. I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I think it's I think it's really really hard to be able to thrive on a vegan diet. And I think you just if you educate yourself and you knew exactly what you were doing, because all I want is the truth, right? If you knew exactly what you were doing, you wouldn't do it. Cool, awesome. That could be a whole podcast by itself, I think. <laughs> Next one is number one book recommendation. Facing Codependence by Pia Melody. It's a book written by, she's a, a shame counsellor. Mm -hmm. It's given to people in 12-step programs, I think, because mm -hmm. my, my mate that I told you about who was the cocaine addict gave me a copy of it about late 2017, mm -hmm. and it explains... Or like the, any trauma that you experience as a child, whether it be a child of divorce or any physical, emotional, spiritual, religious abuse, sexual abuse, any abandonment, if you've been adopted or you had a parent disappear off, um, there's the, the trauma isn't really any different to other trauma. And the book's so brilliant because it, it helps explain everything. And when you, when you start recognizing the explanation of all of this stuff, it really helped and kick-started my healing journey. Very powerful book. I've recommended it to many people. 
um, Facing Codependence by PMLE. You can get it on Audible or hard copy from America, but just get it on Audible. And it's a very confronting book, but took me two weeks to get through it, not because I'm a slow reader, but it was just, it was very confronting. But talk about comfortable being uncomfortable, that's a good book. Facing Codependency, I'll I'll get that one myself. Yeah, PMLE. Um, And the last one for you before you get a question from me is, well, I guess we've already touched on this, uh, but where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? I have a pretty good idea, thanks to some pretty aggressive goal setting. Mm-hmm. So what is it? Where are so you? So I'll absolutely be my own boss. Mm-hmm. Um, the the specificity of what I will be, will be doing work-wise, I, <laughs> it's changing every day, but it will involve having massive impact influence in the form of like a Tony Robbins type scenario mm-hmm. where he's putting on huge events like stadiums full of people sharing not not I don't think it'll focus too much on my own stuff but I want to bring in lots of other people that have amazing stories to share because it very quickly becomes about other people and when people go to these things it's like what what can they get out of it and focusing on coming from a place of love and abundance and educating people on how powerful it is and how much you can get back in your life when you start looking at life in that manner Mm. rather than a place of fear and scarcity and sharing your resources, sharing knowledge, sharing nutritional information that will help people heal and and thrive. Amazing. Um, Big family. I want a lot of kids. Uh, And I even envisage living in America, um, but maybe that'll change. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I think it's... uh... I think that's an amazing um, vision of where you see yourself. No doubt you'll get there. And I think, like you say, that might tweak and change along the way. It's it's bound to. New opportunities will come in. You might find, you might be educated in a different way and then be like, oh, actually, I want to do this with my tools or this or this. But the, the overarching idea there that you said of, of, of promoting love and abundance and empowering people, essentially, to be the best that they can be individually, that's a fantastic place to be in 10 years. I think you're already doing it though. That's the great thing is um, where you are now is you are that person, but in 10 years, you're going to be that person and so much more. Your circle of influence will go from this to, and if people can't see, I'm doing a small circle to a gigantic circle. So yeah. That's well, it, man. it. It's something that just triggered my memory as well. Sorry. Uh, that came up relatively recently. One of the guys I interviewed on the show was um, this huge guy in the nutrition game and and they're all professors and doctors and stuff. And I'm thinking about how I can impact, you know, my this whole process. And I was even thinking about maybe a career in politics and maybe wow. even becoming fucking prime minister. Wow. Cool. Which which might be a bit of a challenge given I'm on a, I've got an Australian passport, but I was born in New Zealand, bit of a Barnaby Joyce, but like, why not? <laughs> why not? Why, like, why, why would, why could I not make a really fantastic prime minister? Yeah, right. Someone who looks, looks good who has all of their vulnerabilities on show. So there's no skeletons in the closet. So you can't ever be ransomed or held hostage for anything. And I think that that's, where does that ever exist in politics? Yeah, it's a weird world politics, isn't it? But it would, Don't know. It, it, Don't know. It, it's kind of, it's odds that there is so much lies and backstabbing in that game. When, when you really think about it, if you're just all brutally honest with each other, 
we accomplish things so much quicker and so much more effectively. Yeah. <laughs> like, why Why is it the way it is? Well, anyway, this, 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 lead, totally this leads me to my question for you, Jacques. Go on. So let's assume I am Prime Minister and I go to you, Jacques. I want to appoint you head of whatever you like. Mm. What would that be? Oh, wow. Uh, that is a great question. Head of whatever you like. So could it be like education or finance? Like, Okay. Because you've got to think about the impact you can have here. Yeah. Actually, when I think about this, quite an easy question to answer. It would be education. Um, because you said it could be education, it could be finance, it could be self-awareness, whatever. I think education encompasses almost everything in life. And one of the big things that I'm super passionate about actually is reforming education in some way along my journey. I want to have a school one day that teaches things that matter. Because when you look at our school system, it's 120 years old. We're educating people to be industrial workers in the early 20th century. How does that have any fucking relevance now? <laughs> like it has none, man. So like I dropped out of school when I was 16. I hated school. You Same. went a big fan of school. Failed, like, failed to perform twice. Yeah, like wh why is the school system the way it is? It makes no sense. So yeah, it would be education. And the three core subjects I would have at the moment that I'm thinking this might evolve would be self-awareness, financial education, mm -hmm. and language. And then once those three subjects are ingrained in people, once people are actually aware of their emotions, they're able to say to someone, I don't feel good because what you said hurts my feelings. Imagine how powerful that is when you're able to actually identify your emotions and understanding finance. So instead of saving your money in a bank account and allowing inflation to slowly destroy it, you invest it in the stock market starting from the age of 10. By the time you're retired, you're a multimillionaire and you don't need to worry about shit. Yeah. Imagine yeah. that. Like, <laughs> so education. Uh, that's a good response, man. I, I was curious to know because there's a guy um, I interviewed yesterday, Craig Challant, who's the Australian of the Year last year, but one of the cave divers that rescued all those Thai soccer players, uh, where they they anaesthetized them and <laughs> took them out through two kilometers of tunnels underwater, yeah, right? But he he's done like about a hundred talks in a year, and a lot of them are at schools, and he and he just said that the difference between the disparage between the public and the, the private schools. He's not that he was trying to be a socialist or anything. He just said that if he was in that similar role, he chose education as well, actually. Um, I think it's education is, you can define it as affecting everything else, really. I, I, I like, if, if I was in charge of the education sector, like, I would hire some of these amazing inspirational speakers to come and deliver courses where they're teaching people about the importance of love and abundance and just life <laughs> yeah like um you'd raise you'd raise a nation that would be a fucking superpower yeah. of well like much more well-adjusted individuals yeah so that's just my two cents amazing bro so just before we end this podcast uh, which has been a fantastic podcast thank you so much for doing this with me no, uh, thank you so much for having me. no problem dude where can these amazing people find out more about Laban Ditchburn What's the best places to contact you, to watch what you're doing, and to follow your progress? So the well, the podcast is called Become Your Own Superhero, and it's filmed on YouTube, and it's available on all the major podcasting platforms. Become Your Own Superhero. Uh, LabanDitchburn.com, L-A-B-A-N-D-I-T-C-H-B-U-R-N.com is my website where I, where I manage a lot of the coaching side of things. 
and uh, yeah, that's you'll find everything you need there.